we are also preparing for our Energize Conference weekend that's starting this Friday and going through next Saturday. It's on uh, page 11 of the New Revival Times. And so this coming Friday evening, our senior minister, Colin Dye, will be setting the tone and the uh, subject is going deeper with God. And throughout that evening and the next day, we'll also be having seminars um, starting from 9 o'clock. Uh, we'll be going straight into the registration and then at 9.30 straight into the session. It's open for everybody. And um, you can see some of the things that we'll be looking at. Going deeper, going deeper. How deep can we go with God? That will be this Friday evening, Colin be beginning it. Then going deeper in prayer and the word. I'll be starting that session on Saturday. Going deeper in worship in the spirit. If in the afternoon, going deeper in spiritual friendship and evangelistic um, conversations that count. This has been building on a number of things that we've done in our training over the course of this year, where we began in January looking at pastoral issues in our lives. And so we're believing God that there'll be an experience as well as teaching and that all of us will have a journey, a fresh journey and fresh encouragement on how to go beneath the surface. You know, we don't want to live at the surface level anymore. You know, there's a lot of surface Christianity about. At the surface, it looks fine, or everything looks like it's okay, but you just dig a little bit, and you find that it's not very deep at all. And the key to our futures, and the key to what God wants for us, is that we go deep into him, get our anchors and our roots strongly with him. So that's what will be happening there. Tonight at our... Uh, Holy Spirit Fire Service, we renamed the 7 o'clock service and uh, we are taking and moving in ministry in a different direction. There's not so much preaching, I won't be preaching tonight, I'll be prophesying. I do have a, a word that I've studied, but I'll be prophesying. We give extra time for ministry and for the Holy Spirit to minister and we had some words of knowledge in ministry last year, got some feedback from a, a name I gave that didn't get any response from, but I've been in email with. And so tonight we're just asking the Holy Spirit to come and to set our hearts on fire. And the worship and everything that we do at the 7 o'clock service, our cry to the Lord, our, our prayer and belief is that we will catch on fire. The greatest thing that we need today in our lives is to be set on fire for God. This world is just dumping cold water of unbelief onto our lives. And so the more that we catch on fire for the Lord, the more we will be able to accomplish everything that God wants in our lives. Now we're in a series, a two-month series here at um, the 2.30 two service, the 5 o'clock service. They're also in a two-month series on walking in integrity. And we're looking at the school of the Spirit, walking uh, in the principles of the Spirit. And I've been saying week by week that the greatest need of the hour, as well as being set on fire from God, is to live according to the principles of the Holy Spirit. Because the majority of Christians are living according to the principles of law and morals. Don't do this, do this. And um, it, it, that's not where it's at. The Christian life is a relationship with the Holy Spirit that sets us free from mere moralism. And so we've been looking at aspects of the Holy Spirit. We've said that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, he came and, and to, to work three things. He came to work in his presence, his purity, and his power. And last week, we spent some time looking at 
the Holy Spirit's work in his presence and his work in assurance. Assurance, assuring us that we are children of God. We looked at how when the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he cries out, Abba, Father. We spoke about how he is the seal or guarantee that we are adopted by God and that we are his children. And how important that is. Because if we spend our lives wondering whether we're saved or not, or accepted or not, or adopted or not, or whether we're in the family or not, then we aren't going to be released to really follow God in everything that we want. If you have a child and you want that child to do the best that they can do in life, the first thing you need to do is give them a direct and continuous assurance that they are loved and valued, whether they do well or whether they don't do well, you love them. Only with a grounding in assurance, knowledge that God is with you, will you ever rise to be everything that God wants you to be. So we spent some time looking at that vital work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we seek the Holy Spirit, receive the filling of the Holy Spirit, he is constantly coming to us with words of comfort and assurance in our hearts saying, you are the fathers. That's, that's the beginning. And uh, even Jesus, remember, when he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came down as a dove with John, remember what the Father said? He said, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. So even Jesus, when the Spirit came upon him, just before his ministry, it started, didn't it, with a word of assurance. You are my son. He knew he was God's son. He knew he, he was pleasing to the Father, but God said it anyway because that's what parents do. Your child might know that you love them, but that doesn't mean that you stop telling them that you love them. So assurance launches us into ministry and launches us into the things that God wants us to do. But today I want to look a little bit at the work of purity, the Holy Spirit's work in purity. Now, we can look at this in different ways, and uh, we know that John the Baptist said that in Luke chapter 3.16, that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And there's this element of fire in the nature and ministry of the Holy Spirit that is very important. Fire is seen in the Bible as something, as a symbol of, of God coming to, to purge and to cleanse. We think of Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 6, that famous passage, just before Isaiah is sent to preach. Um, he has a vision of the Lord and he realizes that he is unclean on the inside. He has a revelation of his uncleanliness. That's what we need today in the church today, generally speaking. People need to have a, reg uh, a recognition of their uncleanliness. They need to know that they're, the ch that they're the child of the Father, but they also need to know that they're not as clean as they think that they are. Not as clean. But then when that happened, what happened was God gave an answer and a coal from the altar of heaven came down and touched Isaiah's lips and he was cleansed. You know, God often shows himself in fire with the fiery bush that Moses saw. And in the New Testament, our faith is to be tried by fire. Our faith that's as precious as gold is going to go into the fire of of getting through this sinful, broken world and the things that we have to face. And if we believe, our faith will be like, like gold put in a, in, a, in a hot firmness. All the impurities in the gold will be able to uh, come to the surface and 
taken off so that gold is purer and finer. So God works fire in our lives. This is, these, are, these are experiences with God. And so we can expect that when the Holy Spirit is poured out in power, that we can have important encounters with the Holy Spirit that will cause deep change to take place. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came like wind and there was fire on their heads, uh, they were changed forever. And so the Bible does speak about divine encounters with the Holy Spirit, where suddenly great changes take place in our life. But I don't want to just really speak too much about that. I just wanted to mention it today, that when we talk about the work of purity, that fire comes to purify us, and that can be an experience with the Holy Spirit, or it can be how you deal with the problems of life. But I would like us to turn to Galatians chapter 5. Because I want to read a section about walking in step with the Spirit. This is principles of walking in the Spirit. I want to give you a brief introduction about how to walk in the Spirit when it comes to walking in holiness. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sensuality, Im sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, en uh, envy, drunkenness, divisions, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Now, Paul is dealing with the backslidden Galatians. In Galatians, they were backslidden because in Galatians chapter 3, he said, how could you who began the Christian life in the Spirit, how could you be trying to perfect it by the flesh? What had happened is that the Galatians had had a powerful experience with the gospel, before whose eyes Christ had been publicly proclaimed as crucified. And then they had a powerful baptism of the Holy Spirit who came with his power and his purity and his presence. And they weren't living according to laws and regulations. These Galatians weren't Jews. They didn't even know what the Ten Commandments were. And they didn't need to know what they were because they were taught to love one another. And that the overriding 
theme of their lives was to be loved, to receive love from God and to love one another. And these fruit of the Spirit were to be the characteristics that they would cultivate, not by their own power. Nobody can produce this fruit of the Spirit by themselves. You don't say, oh, well, before I was a Christian, I was very patient, and now I'm a Christian, I'm also very patient. I have the fruit of the Spirit. No, you don't. That's your natural inclination. No, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is as supernatural and miraculous as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You can no more manifest joy, peace, patience, kindness, or goodness in what in what Paul is speaking about in these terms. You can no more uh, manifest those than you can a healing, a miracle, or a prophecy. This is a work of God, a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I mean, when you exhibit the fruit of patience, you're amazed at how you've changed. Because this is supernatural. In fact, many of the words here in the fruit of the Spirit are not properly translated What happens is you hear the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and in your mind, if you're not careful, you simply think of human qualities of patience. Because we talk about people, they don't even need to be Christians that are patient, or or non-Christians that are kind, or or, or non-Christians that are good. That's got nothing to do with this at all. And if you think in those terms, then you're already being robbed of a powerful work of the Holy Spirit in your lives. Because you're calling the supernatural, the natural. And you won't grow in these things, or you won't be able to uh, allow these things to grow as they should. You see, what God wants is a testimony in our lives. You know, I am not the man that I was a year ago. Do you know that? I am not the same person that I was a year ago. I am different. You say, well, we haven't noticed anything. I have grown in these graces. Not all of them, but some of them. I have seen God at work in my life, and I react and respond differently to situations that I used to a year ago. I've got a long way to go, but I tell you, I'm nothing like the person I was a year ago. Why? Because there's been a growth in the fruit of the Spirit. You say, well, which fruit of the Spirit shall I concentrate on? The one you need right now. So if you're impatient, wanting things to happen, wanting God to move, wanting people to do this, wanting to... then, Then you need the fruit of the Spirit. You need to go to God. And God will put you in just the right situation for the fruit of the Spirit to begin to grow. Just the right one. Whether it's peace or patience. Now, patience, the word there is macrothumia in the Greek. And patience means long temperedness, long suffering, or the quality of never giving up. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is there. So sometimes you're in a place where God has put you in a place where you feel like giving up, where you feel like blowing off, off, a, off a fuse, where you feel like getting annoyed, where you feel like telling, where you feel like you've just had enough, bang, 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 bang. You never know, been there? That's the point when you can turn to God and take your problems to God. Take your problems to God. Don't expect other people to fix your problems. Don't expect other people to fix your problems. You've got to take that to God. If you start asking people to be God in your life, you will be very disappointed and bitter. And it's not fair on them. You've got to take these things to God. So when you feel like giving up, you've got to take it to God. In the prayer closet, talk to Him. Tell Him what He will do is He'll begin to work in your life. Something where you have a strength in an area where you will be able to, to, to be able to take a little bit more. You become stronger. It's like when people go in the gym. They don't start with a big weight straight away. 
You can't do that. What do you have to do? You have to work up your muscles and work up your strength. The fruit of the Spirit is a bit similar. God will put you in places where you need to be kind because there's someone that's unkind. Kindness, that word there, is generosity of heart. So this generosity of heart, are you, as gen- are you, are you generous to people? I'm not just talking about in, in presents and things. I'm not, do you have a generous heart towards people? Do you think the best of them? Do you give them room? Well, I'll tell you what, God will send people into your life at the right time and the right manner where you won't feel generous hearted to. Why? So that these fruits come, that where you are right now, you see so many times Christians are where they are right now and they're, thinking, and they're not even understanding that God is at work. And they're like, why am I in this situation? Why is this not happening? Why is that person like that? Why is that? Why is that? And they're looking at all the circumstances and blaming the circumstances or saying these people need to change or this situation needs to change. No, you need to change. No, seriously. You need to change. You're in those circumstances for a reason. What? You just think that things just happen. That God isn't in control of everything that happens and in the place that you're... You think things just happen. If you think that things just happen, then you're in a very dangerous place because if you think things just happen, then you will in your mind think, well, I better make them happen. Or if things don't happen as you want them to happen, you'll get annoyed or, or, or whatever because things just happen or I make them happen. No, 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 no. God is in control of everything. The good things and the bad things, the trials and the, and the times of refreshing. So where you are right now, I guarantee that the work that God wants to do most in your life is not in your job, it's in your heart. Not in your bank account, it's in your heart. That is his primary work in your life, is the work of the heart. We looked at how God works on the heart. And so that means whatever you're going through, and and God will take you through them, and God will deal with it as he deals with it. And you can go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me with this situation. But while you're praying, your will be done, your kingdom come. Lord, I'm praying for change. While you're doing that, realize a greater work is being done inside you. God is working inside you. Circumstances. And the work that he's doing is to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what was happening was the Galatians, they were saying, forget that. Forget an inner work in the heart. Forget going through and and letting there to be growth and maturity where I can see the fruit of the Spirit, you know, not overnight, but growing in my life where I can say, after every so often, after a year, after three months even, I am not the man or I am not the woman I used to be. Why? I have changed on the inside for the better. And it's God. I never used to react like, I never used to act this way. I would never have done that a year ago. Do you hear what I'm saying? You say, something's changed and it's God. Now, the Galatians were saying, forget that. What we'll do is we'll just obey the laws. The laws. We'll get circumcised, food laws, religious laws. They were becoming pharisaical. They were trying to clean themselves up on the outside. Remember, I I keep talking about this, but it's so true. The Sermon on the Mount, which we may look at in this series, because the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon of spirit-filled living. Everything in the Sermon on the Mount is about the Holy Spirit living in our hearts and Christians living the Spirit-filled life. You can't live the Sermon on the Mount without the power, presence, and purity of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. You can't turn the other cheek without the Holy Spirit. You You can't do the things that... You can't have a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. 
No, the, no, the Sermon on the Mount is talking about change on the inside. And the Pharisees, right throughout the Sermon on the Mount, in fact, throughout Jesus' ministries, the Pharisees looked good on the inside, outside. I mean, they looked good on the outside. They were doing all the things you were meant to do. They were tithing on everything. They, they, were, they weren't going out and committing adultery. They weren't going out and stealing. But, but Jesus said, you who don't steal, do you steal on the inside? Do you steal people's reputations with your slander and your gossip? You that don't actually commit the act of, of immorality, well, well done. But what about your heart's lusting? You don't commit murder on the outside, but on the inside, your heart is like a viper. Your words are destroying people's reputations. You are actively assassinating people's characters. Do you see what I mean? So the Pharisees, Jesus said, do you know what? You clean the bowl on the outside. That's what they did. But don't you understand, it's what's on the inside that matters, your whitewashed tombs. So the thing about the Pharisees and about legalistic Christians is that they're always moralizing, always moralizing, always quoting scripture about following the Lord and doing what's right, pompous, outward Christians. But on their inside, when push comes to shove, it's all dead, there's nothing happening, there's no fruit, in fact, the flesh is at work. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so the problem was, was the Galatians had started in the Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit working on the inside. They weren't following laws. They didn't even know what laws were. What laws were there to follow? They didn't even know the commandments. They didn't need the commandments. They didn't need to be told, honour your mother and father, because the principles of love and respect in the fruit of the Spirit would cause you to do that anyway. The principles of the fruit of the Spirit found here. Also, many of the principles are found in 1 Corinthians 13. Because there in Corinthians, you have the opposite backsliders. You have the Galatians backsliding like Pharisees, all posh on the outside, all rubbish on the inside. And then when you go to the Corinthians, they're saying, oh, well, bless God, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I can do what I want. And they were, they were doing all the flesh on the outside. And Paul had to speak to them and say, you need to get back into the spirit. You need, the problem with you, Corinthians, is you're carnal and fleshly, and you need love. You need love. You need hope. You need, and he goes in and speaks in 1 Corinthians 13. That's the fruit of the spirit. Both the legalists who lived life on the outside... But God saw their inside, and so did Jesus. The legalists, the Galatians, needed the fruit of the Spirit. They needed love. The carnal, uh, arrogant, backslidden Corinthians, they needed the same thing. They needed the Spirit with love. This was the need of the day, not rules and regulations. You see, we are to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit... And the fruit of the Spirit comes from in the soil of our heart. Now notice, it's works of the flesh, not fruit of the flesh. The works of the flesh are human works. Whenever you read about the flesh in this manner of morality, it's speaking about human effort and making life work without God. So the works of the flesh are trying to make your life work without the Holy Spirit. 
And remember, we look at the works of the flesh, and often people think of the sexual sins of the flesh. But actually, some of the worst sins of the flesh are jealousy, strife, division, uh, maliciousness, rivalries. In fact, here, you've got rivalries, dissensions, that's arguments, and divisions three times, not just once, but three times. And so, you know, you, you, so this is talking about trying to make life work through the flesh without God. They are the opposite. To, now, we are, we are not Christmas trees. We are true organic trees. We, we are branches on the vine of Christ. We're not Christmas trees. You say, what do you mean we're not Christmas trees? Well, some Christians are like Christmas trees because they decorate themselves on the outside. You see, like a Pharisee. The moment you cut that uh, Christmas tree down, if it's a real Christmas tree, the moment you cut that Christmas tree down, it's dying on the inside. And yet we put it in our houses and we put uh, all kinds of baubles and we make it beautiful. And on the outside, that Christmas tree looks wonderful, looks beautiful, but it's dying on the, out- on the inside. We're not Christmas trees. We are fruit-bearing trees. And so as God works on our hearts, so we're going to produce the fruit of Christ-likeness. And so here we have these two pressures in our life. We have the, uh, the, the flesh and the spirit. And if you notice there in 16, it says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Now, the word for desires is passions. And so we have these, these, these passions. We have the pull of the flesh. And there's always that element in our lives, because we're not perfect right now. We're on, we're on a journey with God. And there's always that bit in our lives, <clears throat> we can deal with it, that pull, wants to pull us down. The flesh is that bit that wants to pull you down. It's not yet sanctified. It wants to pull you down. It wants you to get angry. It wants you to self-justify what you're doing. It wants you to be proud. It, it, it pulls you in the direction of lust. It pulls you in the direction of malicious talk. It pulls you in that direction. We all know that, don't we? There's a, there's a pull. There's a pull. But you've got to understand the way to deal with that is not by bringing in laws. To try and shore up your life with outward laws. Do not do... Do you know, Jesus... Jesus... When he dealt with people, he spent time with everybody that was doing things wrong. That's who he spent time with. Everybody that on the outside was doing things wrong, Jesus spent time with them. But everybody that, or most people that seemed to be doing things right on the outside, Jesus didn't have time for them at all. Think about it. Because the Pharisees on the outside were doing everything right, but Jesus saw their heart. But the tax gatherers and sinners, and he was criticized, wasn't he, for being with these people. On the outside, they were doing everything wrong. I mean, think of who he spent time with, Zacchaeus. He sees Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is doing nothing right on the outside. He's taking money from widows. He's tax-swindling people. Jesus looks at him, but he doesn't look at what he's doing on the outside, does he? He looks into his heart and sees by the eye of the Spirit that there's something in this man that's redeemable. So he says, I'm going to have lunch with you today, Zacchaeus. And everybody else says, doesn't he know who that man is? Doesn't he know what Zacchaeus does? He should be eating with the Pharisees and the scribes, the holy people. But Jesus saw that although Zacchaeus was doing stuff 
bad on the outside, there was something in his heart. He saw it, he connected with it. Zacchaeus got saved, and then his outside changed, didn't he? His inside first. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, when you've become a Pharisee, I'll dine with you. He didn't say, when you've changed, I'll come. He said, Zacchaeus, I'm going I'm to fellowship with you right now. Remember when he had that prostitute washing his feet with perfume and crying and everything, and Simon the Pharisee, who was good on the outside, said, doesn't, doesn't this man, isn't he a prophet? Doesn't he know what manner of woman this is? Well, you see, Simon was looking on the outside again, but Jesus saw into her heart and said, you know, this is love. And so Jesus is dealing with the matters of the heart. That's where the work is. And the Holy Spirit is very passionate. Very passionate. So when we speak about being set on fire, it's another way of allowing the Holy Spirit's desires and passions to set us on fire. Have you ever been around somebody that's passionate about something? It could be about sport, it could be about business, it could be about anything. And, and, when you, and sometimes that passion can be infectious, can't it? They're just so excited about it. They're just so passionate about it. And that type of passion is contagious. And the Holy Spirit is very passionate. He's far more passionate than your flesh. Far more passionate. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, the, the, the flesh is so strong. And Well, how do you deal with strong flesh? By trying to fight against it? No, what you do is you go and then you ask the Holy Spirit, and you seek the Spirit, and you allow the Holy Spirit to, if I can use the word, infect you with his passion, to get alongside him who's passionate. You know, if you spend time with fleshly people, fleshly people will make you fleshly. If you spend time with red-hot people for Jesus, it's a good effect. It's like, you know, coals together keep, keep warm, keep fire. So that's why we need to be careful who we let into our lives. I found that, find that often you'll find fleshly pockets of people. Not just one. You'll find that they're mates or those that they're close to. There's a fleshly pocket. A fleshly pocket. And that fleshly pocket is self-fleshly. And there's usually a pharisaical tone on it. They're criticizing everybody else but themselves. You'll find that. But when we look at the passions of the Spirit, like tonight at the 7 o'clock, we just want to get set on fire. So you don't fight the flesh like, oh, I'm going to try harder, do more, and try and outwardly fight the, the flesh. Don't, don't even think about the flesh. Turn to the Spirit. Come to the Spirit. Speak to the Spirit. Call out to the Spirit. Worship the Lord. Focus on the things he's interested in. Read about the things that the Holy Spirit does when he sets people on fire in Acts. Catch his passions for the needy. Catch his, his passions for other people's lives. And as, as we focus on the Holy Spirit, and as we speak to the Holy Spirit, he can rub off on our lives. And he be, can begin to do divine change. It says that... If we are led by the Spirit, we are not under the law. Now, come with me, please, to Romans. I want to show you something. Not being under the law is so important. In the book of Galatians, you will find that there are words that go together in groups. So, for example, in the book of Galatians, you'll find that faith, true faith, faith is always alongside promise, 
Faith, promise, spirit, grace. Faith, promise, spirit, grace. These things are always together. The faith, faith, believe in God, the Holy Spirit, the promises of God, and the grace of God. Okay? But then you'll also find other words that are negative together. Flesh is always, or sin, flesh and sin always is a lot, goes along with unbelief. Unbelief and flesh and the law. The law always goes along with unbelief and flesh. Now, there's nothing wrong with the law, but the problem is the law can't do us any help. The law's fine, the problem is humanity's not. And so there is a principle that we find that if we try and live our lives according to the law, we are going to get in bondage. Now, let me read Romans chapter 7. Now, at the beginning of Romans chapter 7, it says that we as Christians are not under the law. And it gives, it's going to give us an illustration. It's going to talk about the fact that just like when a husband and wife are married, they're married until death do us part. But when one dies, then they have parted, and the other is free if they desire to marry again. Why? Because there's no more relationship on earth. The, the husband or the wife has died, and hopefully gone to heaven, and then the husband or wife that's left, they are free. They are no longer married. They won't be committing adultery if they get married again. You understand? And he's going to apply this to the law. And that's our relationship with the law. But then look at how he speaks about somebody who's under the law. Uh, okay, we're going to read Romans 7. So just get the feel of this. Romans 7. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Can you see the word fruit? Okay. For while we were, and he's speaking about when we were non-Christians, living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, were at work in our members, that's our body and our lives, to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Can you see Galatians here, the fruit, the Spirit? And then, listen to this though, this is what it's like to be under the law. But what shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetedness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. And that's where he should be. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. 
so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Now, has anybody ever felt like this? For I do not understand my own actions. For I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I don't want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that's in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who is doing it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. We go right down to verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And we're going to come into Romans 8, which is amazing in a minute. But let me just backtrack. Who is Paul talking about? Paul is talking about the best you can be without being saved or born again. That's the best you can be. He is thinking about his life. Do you remember Paul was a Pharisee? And not just a Pharisee, he was the best Pharisee that there was. A Hebrew of Hebrews. And this is a picture of him trying to do his best, trying to live the law, but finding the more he tried to live the law, the more sin had dominion over him. Now, right at the beginning of chapter 7, do you remember it said that we've died to the law? So Paul is saying, this is a terrible situation to be under the law. Why? Because the law doesn't help. There's nothing wrong with the law, but it doesn't help. You see, the law of God, the law of Moses, all that does is show you the standards of God. The standards of God you can't possibly meet. The standards of God you can't possibly get there. You see, the standards of the law, if the law was an exam, God's law that you had to pass to get into heaven, the, the pass mark is 100%. And nobody can do that except Jesus. So the law, whenever people start le living legalistically, what happens is the flesh or the sin in them begins to rise up. Begins to rise up. And that's why some of us, even as Christians, some of us, when we read that, we say, well, I struggle a bit like that. I, sometimes the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. I, I, you're saying this is a... Uh, somebody who's, a, who, who's not a Christian, Bruce, but I, ca I can see elements of this in my life. Sure you can. Why? Because there is still the element of, in your mind, legalism and the law. Now, let, let me have two volunteers. I need two men to come up. Let's have two men. Would, would you mind coming up on the platform? I won't do anything in, in the check shirt. Two volunteers, two men, straight away. Would, would you come? Yeah. And would you come on the end? Yeah, yeah. I won't, I won't do anything to embarrass you. Just come up. I just want you to stand to sh to sh to as quick as possible, please. I just want to show you something about what we're talking about here. Hey there. Okay. Just stand there. When you read Romans chapter 5, 
which leads us into Romans 6 and 7. If you would stand just here, please. Romans chapter 5 speaks about Adam and Christ. And in Romans chapter 5, the second half, it speaks about the fact that before you become a Christian, before you're born again, you are in Adam. Now, you're Adam. You're Adam who fell in the uh, Garden of Eden. And you are Christ. Okay? And Romans chapter 5 and 6 talk about this. And this is what it says. It says that we are all, since Adam fell in the Garden of Eden, all of his offspring, every single one of us but Jesus, we are what we call in Adam. In Adam. When one man sinned, we all sinned. When Adam fell, we all fell. Sin is a hereditary spiritual disease. You don't become a sinner when you first do something naughty as a child. You are born with a propensity to sin. Your nature, Paul, David said before I was, I was a sinner in my mother's womb. We are born fallen. And that is what we are called in Adam. What does that mean? It means that everything that happened to Adam has happened to me. Because I'm in Adam. He fell, I fell. He was judged, I was judged. He spiritually died, I'm spiritually dead. Everything that happened to Adam happened to me. And in this place of being in Adam, who is ruling over me? When Adam fell, he handed over his authority to sin and Satan. And so in Adam, sin rules. I can't deal with it, I can't, I can't overcome it. Sin rules. I can try and be good on the outside, like a Pharisee, but in my heart, I can't deal with sin. Why? Because I'm in Adam, and sin reigns over me. And because sin reigns over me, guess who also reigns over me? Satan, the prince of the power of the air, that works in the sons and daughters of disobedience, Ephesians 2. You see, wherever sin is, there the devil can work. That's why that Jesus said... The devil's got nothing in me because there's no sin. So I'm in Adam. And sin rules. And Satan rules. And when the law comes, the law just points this all out and the law condemns. So in Adam, before you're a Christian, sin rules. You're its slave. You can't deal with it in the heart. You might be the most religious outwardly person in any of the world religions. You might do fastings and giving to the poor, but in your heart, you can't do anything with sin. Sin rules you in Adam. Satan rules you in Adam. And the law condemns you in Adam. And when that law comes, all you do, and, and if you know the law, it just condemns you further. Nothing wrong with the law, the problem is you. The heart of the problem is problem in Adam. Guess what? The moment you believe and you are born again, you are a new man, a new woman. You are born again. You are no longer in Adam, but in that moment of true belief, you have now been transported from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and now you are in Christ. Haven't you heard? That's all there in Romans 6. Haven't you read in Ephesians how? In Christ, in Christ. So now, the moment you believe, even if you don't know all this, you are now in Christ. No longer in Adam. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means everything that's happened to Jesus has happened to you. Everything. 
Everything Jesus did was on your behalf. So just as in Adam, when Adam died, you died, now in Christ, you are alive in Christ. And Romans 6 says that you were crucified with Christ. You died with Christ. You were buried with Christ. You were raised on the inside with Christ. Christ passed the test of the law, and because you're in Christ, you passed the test of the law. Everything Jesus did, he did for you. Not just on the cross, his whole life of obedience to the law. He was obedient to the law on our behalf. Everything is by faith in Christ. And so, are we under sin anymore? No, why? Because Christ died to sin, destroyed sin. So we're not under sin. Are we under Satan anymore? No. And are we under condemnation anymore? No, because we're about to read in Romans 8, there is now no condemnation. Why? Because there's no law. Why? Because when Jesus passed the test of the law, he passed it for each one of us, and now, like we saw in Romans 7, we're no longer married to the law. We don't have a relationship with the law. We don't need the law because we're in Christ. But what we need more than anything is a renewed mind to know who we are now. The Christian life is a voyage of self-discovery, finding out who I am in Christ. And the problem is, let me just come a bit closer, if, if the problem is, is if you're a Christian, you're in Christ. If you're a legalistic Christian, you're still in Christ, you just don't understand what to do. If you're a fleshly Corinthian Christian, you're still in Christ. It's all in Christ. But the problem is, if this is our mind, we need a renewed mind. Our mind still thinks sometimes like it was in Adam. Still acts like it was Adam. This is why the most important thing in the Christian life is to have our mind renewed by the Holy Spirit. Where our mind says, our mind stop thinking like you're in Adam. Stop thinking you're defeated. Stop thinking that the law condemns you. Stop thinking these fleshly things. That's not who you are. You were born again. You are a new creation. Your mind needs to start thinking like the mind of Christ. So what we have to do is our mind needs to catch up with what's already happened spiritually. Thank you very much. Let's give them a round of applause for helping me. So, when you start the outward stuff, when you start looking at laws and Christian regula regulations and do's and do's nots and all these things, and you say, how holy am I? Well, let's see, have I given up cigarettes? Do I not drink alcohol? Do I wear the right type of skirt, ladies? Do, and you start, whatever it might be, and different churches tend to have different standards, don't they? They can have standards like the Galatians that are very strict. Ladies, put your hats on. Or they can have standards like the Galatians. Hey, let's all go out and get drunk at the pub after the service. Why not? We're in Christ. So they can have different standards. But none of those things are important, really. What's important is the principles and relationship of the Holy Spirit. And so there he is. He's under the law. And the problem is, is that the law is making things worse. Now let's have a look at Romans 8, that is all about the, about the new man. Get your mind, believer, out of Romans 7. Because if your mind is in Romans 7, that will be your experience, even though it shouldn't be. 
That's why Christians can often read Romans 7 and say, that's how I feel. I understand. Get your mind off those things. Get them onto Romans 8. Get them onto Galatians. Get them onto principles and the work of God in your heart. And if you, and if you get the principles of the heart right, the actions will eventually follow. We're too busy trying to clean the outside, get the action stored. Stop doing this, stop watching that, stop that, stop drinking this, stop acting. Uh, oh, try better. Patience, patience, count to ten. One, two, three, four, five. All these outward ways of dealing it. No, start on the inside. Right, Romans 8, think of the fruit of the Spirit. There is now no condemnation. Bang, there's no law. There's no condemnation. Why? Because of Jesus. Not because of you. Because of Jesus. Whether you're holy or unholy, whether you're fleshly or not fleshly, it doesn't make any difference. In Christ, you're complete. There's no condemnation because there's no law accusation because you've died to the law. So don't act as if it's still your husband or your wife because it is a hard taskmaster. Can you imagine having a husband and a wife? I pray, I pray to God that you don't. It's constantly on your case. You come home from work and your wife is like, you haven't done this, you haven't done that, you didn't do to God, you did, 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 did. You wake up in the morning, she's like that. Or reverse, you come home from work, ladies, and your husband's there. And you're like, where's my dinner, where's my dinner, I want this, you do this. I don't like the way that you look, you didn't talk to me the right. You Can you imagine that? And, 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 and imagine if they were right. Imagine if they were right. They're just telling you what's right. That's what the life of the law is like. It's miserable. Miserable. But there is no condemnation for those who are in. In. Not in Adam any longer, but transferred from being in Adam to become a new person in Christ. In Christ. For the law of the Spirit. Not the law of Moses, but the, and this word law can be translated principle. The principles of the Spirit, what are those? Love, joy, peace, patience. Has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law which brings sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Jesus dealt with the law who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds. Do you remember what I said in Adam, get your mind? Those who walk in the flesh, non-Christians do this by nature, but, but sometimes we do this by habit. Those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Do you remember earlier I said, don't focus on the flesh and the pull of the flesh. Because the next thing it says, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. That's why I said go to the Spirit. See how the Spirit operates. Read about Jesus. See about His characteristics, His peace, His patience, His faithfulness, His mercy, His grace, the way the Lord treated people. See those things. Set your mind not on the flesh. Get your mind out of there. Set your mind on the good things of God, the kingdom of God. Whatever is pure, whatever is peaceable, whatever, think on these. Let's focus on the Lord, not the devil. Amen? 
set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. You, however, verse 9, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. And then we can, I could, I could spend ages on his, but let's just go to verse 13. For if you live according to flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put the death, the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of fear or slavery, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. You see, we go right back to what we spoke about last week. So, when we talk about holiness, when we talk about the work of the Spirit, it is a vibrant relationship of God working in your heart in the midst of the circumstances that you're in. It's a conversation between the Spirit of God working in your heart with what you're going through in life. What you're going through isn't by accident. The devil may be behind it, as in Job. But, it's, but God, God can work through it. You say, we heard about Job earlier being a righteous man, but you know, he was a different man by the end of Job than he was at the beginning. What happened? He'd met God in the trials of life. And he changed on the inside. You know, it's not about getting more blessing. It's not about being righteous and getting blessed. It's about being changed on the inside. Because if you're changed on the inside, that's the best thing that you can have in life. Better than money, better than anything. Is to have the fruit of the Spirit increasing. Because the devil can't touch the fruit of the Spirit. Can't handle it. The world doesn't know what to do with a man of peace. The world doesn't know what to do with a man of kindness, gentleness. A woman of faithfulness, self-control. The world can't cope with things like that. They don't know how, because it's counterintuitive. Because the world says grab, the world says condemn, the world says uh, speak out, the world says get, the world says these. And the Holy Spirit is the opposite way. That's why Isaac is the greatest Old Testament picture of the fruit of the Spirit. I'm often preaching about him, the way he dealt with his issues. Whereas Jacob is often the picture of the fleshly Christian. He has the promises of God, but he's always trying to make it out in his own way. So, I may pick this up next week, but what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. God is trying to work in your heart. He's trying to work in your heart. Get your eyes off do's and don'ts, and out, how you appear outwardly, because you know what? What really matters is what's going on on the inside of your heart. No. You may appear holy to other people. God sees right through that. You may, conversely, be really struggling with some issues of life. Really think, you know, Bruce, if you know what I did in the secret place, you'd probably kick me out of the church. No, I wouldn't. Why? Because you might be a Zacchaeus. Jesus saw something inside you. He started a good work in you. Why? Because he saw something in his heart. And if you're spending all your time saying, you don't know what I'm doing, you don't know where I am, you don't know what I've done, and you're just dealing with the outside, how can he possibly get on into the inside? Jesus sees through your good works or your bad works. Today, I'm not interested in your good works or bad works. Today. These things have an importance, but only as they spring from... Today, I'm not interested in your good works or your bad works. 
I'm interested in whether your heart is attuned and turned to God. And we just say, Holy Spirit, help me. Jesus, just, just help me on the inside. If you're a Pharisee, or if you're, if you're just into all sorts of stuff, it doesn't interest me whether you're a Pharisee or into all sorts of stuff right now. What interests me and what interests God is, is your heart open for God to work. Because he'll take you from where you are now. And the work begins inside. You don't work from the outside in. I'll deal with that, then 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 I'll be all right on the... The work be... You bring yourself to the Lord. And others of you that may not be in those extremes... You're just saying, well, I'm just trying to live for the Lord, Bruce. I know. But let me tell you how it works. God is trying to produce his characteristics in your life. His characteristics in your heart. That's, what, that's his aim. That's it. Everything else will flow from this. And if you are focused on growing in these characteristics, coming from the heart... Coming from the heart, a change, real change. If you are open to characteristics growing in your heart, he will help you. And you'll be able to see change. Hey, you'll make mistakes. It's the orientation of where you're going. And you won't need the law anymore. Why? Because you won't be thinking, do not, do not, appear so, appear not so. You'll be saying, am I a faithful person to my friends? Am I faithful to my boss? Am I kind to those that are unkind? How am I doing? Am I a generous-hearted person? Am I a peaceful person? Am I, am I the person that, that brings peace? Am I the kind person? You see? And you look at yourself and you say, oh, well, but you know what? As you begin to say, how, how are these graces doing in my life? How am I becoming? Who am I becoming? I want you to, to be able to say, as things go, I'm becoming more faithful more trustworthy, more peaceable, more kind. I, I want to become, don't you? I want to become more like that, don't, don't you? When I really, deep down, I want to be like that. Why? Because then I'll be able to cope with anything. I won't have to play the devil's game. If someone comes and wants to play flesh with me, I'll just say I don't play that game. Why? Because I, I, I deal in a totally different type of characteristics than you deal with. That, well, that's what I want to be. I want to be in a place where the world can't touch me. Like Jesus. Why? Because I don't play by their rules. No. Christ is growing in me. I want us all to be able to have testimonies in a week's time, a month's time, three months' time, I don't know, maybe a year's time, where we can regularly at least have a testimony where we say, do you know what? I'm not the man I used to be a year ago. I'm not the woman I used to be three months ago. What? Something's changed. What's changed? I've changed. The Holy Spirit has changed me. I could never be becoming what I am becoming by myself. But the Holy Spirit is at work with me. Don't need any laws or regulations. I just need God. God bless you.